Welcome to the last episode of Season 5 of Level Up, a podcast where we explore how students, faculty, and staff at the University of Florida create presence and belonging. I'm your host, Antonio Farias, Chief Diversity Officer at the University of Florida. This is also the last episode, as I'll be departing the university and heading west to continue my journey. Welcome to another episode of Level Up on Presence and Belonging. And today we are fortunate to have Dr. Wolfgang Sigmund, who is a professor in the Herbert Wertheim College of Engineering in Material Science and Engineering. Uh, he is the former chair of the Presidential LGBTQ Plus Advisory Committee uh, and received his PhD from the Johann Gutenberg University in Mainz, Germany. His research interests befuddle me as a humanist, but they are wildly exciting. Semiconductor oxides, uh, energy harvesting, nanostructures and nanoparticles, that all sort of fuels my my sci-fi inner soul. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, Dr. Sigmund. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. So so we, we always start the, que- the uh, podcast by asking the question of uh, what is your story of belonging? Yeah, uh, thanks for this interesting question. That triggers, of course, uh, a lot of thoughts uh, because belonging, yeah, that's, that's a big desire for any human being. You want to belong. We are social uh, people and, and we need others. So belonging, you want to belong to a group. And of course, then for me, as uh, you already mentioned, I, I'm active in the LGBT community, so I'm gay myself. And so it actually started really, really early. It's when you're about... I would say maybe two years old, three years old, you start to feel that you are a little different. Of course, this happens to many people that they're feeling different, but you know, you feel something is, is, is not quite as, as maybe the world would expect from you. And so with this growing up of this feeling that you might not completely belong, you start to ask yourself a lot of questions when you're young. And of course, then uh, as you grow up in your uh, teenage years and so on, you discover that actually your parents, your teachers can't give you the answers. You start to have to have critical thinking yourself. And then you come to this, okay, what, what is the meaning of belonging? That you're actually part of a, a group and that you can um, yeah, have friends and, and enjoy this. And just especially nowadays with the pandemic, we, we see how important it is to have human connections to be with other people. And yeah, so this this was early on in my life triggered this thinking about what it's like to belong. And of course, it also means uh, being gay, you felt often that uh, other people that told you that you don't belong, that they tried to push you out. And so you had to learn early on how to do things that you are capable of, of staying within a group, of belonging to the group. And uh, that is actually also really valuable in life because anytime you go somewhere, again, you have to prove that you belong. People are welcoming, but still, you want to be really part of everything. And for that, it's really good when you early on in your life learn how to interact with other people so they, uh, you yourself start to feel like you belong to that, that group. That's fantastic. Interesting. Interesting. You you mentioned early identity development and critical thinking and how, you know, because a, a lot of and value add, right? Lots of things that you just covered. Um, and you know, we we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and difference bringing bringing more to the table, right? And and creating more innovation. It, can you say a little bit more about that? Because especially especially the sense of like what you bring, 
you know, with all that difference to the table, you bring a different mindset, right? Because that's really what we're trying to get to in terms of bringing diverse populations together is to create a level of innovation. But that innovation won't be there unless people sort of are actually welcoming in, in a way, right? Because this belonging is a two-way street. It's not just subjective, but you also feel it in a very visceral way in the environment you, you work and you play in, right? Correct. That, that, that's absolutely right. I could say I, I'm now at the university. I, I, I was lucky in my life that I was, was able to, to move to a university professor position. But then uh, this was actually triggered early on in my life because I was able to, or I was forced to do critical thinking. Um, many students learn this in school, but uh, if your life is really nice, the environment is, is fitting you, you're not as challenged. And so having these challenges early, early on really made me question a lot of things. You had to question what your parents told you, what your church told you, or the teachers told you. And of course, a lot of things they said are absolutely right. But then there are certain things where they just themselves didn't think deep enough. Or I grew up, of course, in the 60s and 70s in Germany, where they may not have had the knowledge yet. And so, yeah, you were required yourself to think. And that helped me a lot of them, of course, in the school, because with critical thinking, you can actually dig deeper in, into understanding than other students. So you get actually better grades, which then allow you later on to, uh, yeah, to succeed, go to university. And yeah, so it's, it's a key thing in life. And as you mentioned that it's important later on in life that you're welcome and being invited to the table. So if uh, I were unlucky, which happens to a lot of people, they don't get to come to university as a professor or research faculty, they don't even get the chance. Then when you're here, when you can be part of the community, uh, the way of thinking that you bring along is, is so different because you, every time I think about something, I build it actually up from logical building blocks. It's not just pulling a, a memory from something, it's really putting things together and that brings, of course, many times a different solution or different questions than other people have. That's it, right? It, it's, it's the different questions and a different sort of um, optic. Correct. And in this respect, I also have to say uh, some people or people that I meet, especially uh, from the trans community or transgender people, they can also do the same for me. They, they, they are even more original or, or deeper questions uh, that they have. And, and they also think very different. So that's, that's exactly when I feel it's like, wow, there are more people out there diverse and have different types of thinking. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's actually the wonderful thing at the university. And I especially, I, I need to point out, there are other experiences. People come from other countries. Uh, they, they grew up in different societies, different experiences. So it doesn't have to be just sexuality or gender identity uh, that can uh, trigger all these things in your life that you need to be more critical thinking and more independent. Right. And that's the point, right? It's like, we, how do we subvert this uh, us versus them or in-group, out-group mentality? And I'm curious about your experience because you, you have a, you know, A, you're, you're an international scholar, but you grew up in, both in, in, in Europe, in Germany. We were just discussing before we started off uh, the, you know, the beautiful 
background picture, and you were you were mentioning that it was during your travels to Seoul. So within the within the international uh, construct of the academy, it, do you find that that there that it, it fosters a, a better sense of belonging uh, as opposed to general society, or is it just simply a reflection of society and where we're patting ourselves too much on the back in thinking that the academy actually is a is a safer space for for bringing out differences? Oh, <laughs> that is really difficult uh, to, to decide because society is, is not homogenous, neither is the academy. Um, so if, if, let's say, if you look at the state of Florida, of course, uh, La Lachua County, uh, when you just look at the map, how people vote or the, the direction people think, La Lachua County looks very different than the neighboring counties. So, and then, of course, the academic community is really a key contributor for Alachua County. And yes, in this respect, if you just simply say Florida, North Florida, where academic community is much better, more welcoming, I completely agree. If you now go out in the world, that can be then different. There are uh, institutions, of course, now internationally, that do not welcome LGBT faculty. Um, and... Uh, so it's it's uh, it, it's it's really uh, a, a very difficult thing to push everything to, together on on these two simple things. But overall, let's say at the University of Florida uh, and typically also U.S. Uh, academic institutions, we built, and I think we can be proud of that. We built a, a nice environment that is more diverse, more welcoming. But at the same time, I've been many years in um, this area, also looking into diversity and, and belonging and doing inclusion work. And there's still a lot of work to be done. It's, it's uh, pretty much a never ending process where you have to continue to work. So we can pat us a little bit on the back, but at the same time, there's so much to be done. And, and that's why, yeah, we have the CBO at University of Florida, but we need actually almost two or three for this huge university to, to really do all the things that are needed to be made better, basically for everyone here. Yeah, that, I, that's uh, I incredibly appreciate your your perspective because uh, you're absolutely right. It it isn't just uh, it isn't just a finish line, right? We don't just get there. It's it's a process of continuous introspection, continuous improvement. Uh, you mentioned earlier even about about the transgender community, right? We, we're always we're always challenged wherever we are, uh, however our identities feel marginalized or not, that there's always others that are even more marginalized and we're not willing to sort of always look look back and around and have a, an awareness of who is in need, then we're, we're gonna be also part of that problem that needs to be uh, helped along. Correct, yeah. So can I, so one of the things that, that we ask is uh, what, what excites you about the work you do? I mean, you do a lot of heavy, uh, again, as a humanist, I'm, I'm incredibly impressed by anything that says nano, right? And that's that's just my that's my William Gibson sci-fi world uh, of of the humanities that I fall in. But you do a, you do a lot more than than just like science. But tell me tell me about the both the science and and the rest of the work that you do here at, at UF and and maybe in, in the broader community that really excites you. Yeah. Um. So the the cool thing is about engineering, uh, we can. Uh, we teach the students and, and ourselves that we, we uh, learn how to uh, define a problem and to solve a problem. And uh, so there, of course, now with global warming, with the pandemic, there are a lot of engineering problems out there. And so I focus actually on key topics 
that allow us to, for example, uh, increase energy efficiency. I had projects before where we worked on solar cells. I had improving those. Uh, I have a lot of projects on environmental remediation. So basically cleaning up the environment from pollutants that are out there. And so there are things from society that drive the research. Of course, what we do then from the fundamental part is then, as you mentioned, nanomaterials. And why do we, nan why do, we do nano? Because when you go from the bulk, from the big uh, items down to the nano range, suddenly you can get quantum effects. And in addition, also you get really large surface area while you use a little bit of material. I can tell you a little bit funny story there uh, that where industry in Germany didn't realize what it means when you go to nano. So nano isn't too new. It, it was already in the 1990s in Germany. So I did my PhD work there at, in Mainz, as you mentioned, at the Max Planck Institute. And we created nano layers, a single molecular layer on the surface of water. And you can assemble these and build structures, super efficient structures, really well done. And of course, the industry and the German government sponsored it for millions of dollars uh, at many places, not just in Mainz. And then the industry at one time asked, so really cool what you did. How many tons can we sell per year? Because they need to recoup the dollars they put in. And then we said, yeah, you, with what we do, it's so efficient. You probably can sell one kilogram per year to cover the planet. Wow. <laughs> and with that, the industry said, oh, not for us. We want to sell Billions. Railway cars. <laughs> you want to sell megatons in order to make money. But that's, that's, a, that's the difference between the, uh, the research that happens in, in your labs that eventually leads to efficiencies in the market, but the market wants to get there yesterday, doesn't it? Yeah, correct. And and that's a, but, but that's the beauty that when you go to small dimensions, you can do so many things. And uh, the other part is with it, you can now allow every human being, even when we are hitting maybe 10 billion people on this planet, every human being can have it because it's so energy efficient. Uh, it doesn't pollute the environment anymore. We can even uh, yeah, reverse global warming probably uh, with certain technologies. And that's a beauty that, that we have engineering solutions in the making. And that's so exciting to be able to work on this. And the other part I have to say, not just with research, it's the human interaction again, it's the social aspect at the university. Young students come in and they, of course, they have their entire life uh, ahead of them and, and they will be able to see the, all these changes over the next 50 or 80 years and, and contribute to these. And that's the exciting part, uh, being able to guide them, what nanos can do, nanomaterials can do, and what could be done within the limits of, of the physics that exists and engineering and that they engage with it and advance everything. So that's also another beautiful part about research that's super exciting. And that's what's so cool about a university because you get this young talent and, and, and you can interact with them. This is so very different if you go to industry, usually uh, you have not as many young minds and especially industry, they want them um, after they graduate. <laughs> so we get them earlier at, at a, it's a more exciting stage, like diamonds in the rough. Right. And, and so that's an exciting project. So it's focusing a little bit on the students then. What, what was, what's your sense of the engineering field uh, from when you were a young scholar uh, and, and where, where the, 
where the field of engineering is right now in terms of scholarship, in terms of engagement in the classroom, in the laboratory, now that as, as, as populations have become more demographically diverse, right? So we have more women, more underrepresented minorities, more people that are going and, and, sh and are showing an interest in STEM and particularly in engineering. Um, do you feel like some of those barriers, earlier barriers are falling and, and, and how, how, how do you see that happening here at UF? Yeah, overall uh, barriers start to fall, but uh, they're not falling quickly. I mean, there, there are still the, the general barriers out there. Uh, there's systemic racism. Uh, women typically, uh, due to uh, pregnancies, might get disadvantaged so that while they study and they get their PhD, they might not get the job later on. So there are barriers that are falling, but uh, they... Yeah, there's, there's work to be done to, to uh, make it more equitable for, for uh, all the minorities that are coming in. We are lucky at UF that we are able to attract so many women. And actually, this is a part I can really highly applaud our dean, uh, a, a woman, it's, it's uh, uh, Dr. Abernethy. Yeah, she did a fantastic job representing us in the nation and uh, pushing a lot that we actually got women faculty. And now we get a lot of women students. And that's awesome. Uh, the diversity still can be improved so much uh, for minority students, especially. And we're doing well, but I think not well enough that there needs to be more done. We need scholarships for these uh, students and so on uh, to really help out more. I completely agree with you, right? It's, it's, it's very much so an unfinished product um, and project. So what, what would you say is one actionable thing that, that you would recommend to people and maybe to, uh, to your fellow colleagues that they can do to create a sense of belonging at UF, whether it's in the classroom or in the laboratory or just generally in the academy? One thing is actionable. There, there are usually so, so many that, that can be done. The one thing is, of course, communication. Communication is key. And maybe this also belonging I mean, it, it's not enough if, if, if we have one day in a class where we talk about diversity and, and tell everyone where you belong. It's, it's actually a daily thing that, that needs to happen uh, because we come from different areas and while we try to be nice to each other, sometimes we have to actually learn uh, to, to interact with each other because we come from so much diverse background. So in order to make everyone belong, uh, I would say constant communication uh, with the students and with the other faculty and let them know in these conversations that you accept them how they are. And of course, sometimes maybe that's the other thing. We are big universities. There's sometimes friction and sometimes you have to also educate a student or a faculty member. Hey, what you just stated is actually a microaggression or it's uh, not uh, the best approach to uh, to talk to this uh, person like that. And uh, yeah, so communication is the key thing and yeah, keeping it up, the communication. If the moment you sh we shut it down, yeah, it's not going to to, to pr provide what, what we want basically. And, but that's, a, that's what I mentioned earlier, the process, it's you cannot just do one action item and you're done. It's, it's, it's a continuous, I love that. Uh, yes, com effective communication, right? Because it's not just yeah, one-way communication. And then yeah. I, I love the other part that you mentioned, right? This is, it's an everyday thing. It can't be just today. It's 
you know, we're celebrating one affinity month or one affinity group, and then we can go back to business as usual. It's got to be a consistent learning process. And I love what you said about learning because it's not just the students, it's also the faculty, right, that also have to yeah. learn, right? This is a continuous learning process. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, that we always have these, these spots that we can't see, you know, in our periphery. And the only way to understand that is to be open to communication and to being to being educated that you're, you don't know, the, the, you know, there's there's too much of the world that we don't know, right? And, and you know that's that correct. very well, right? Because you you do the research on the, on the unknown. Yeah, correct. So so we, we, we always close the podcast with the question of uh, what brings you joy? That that's at this time of a pandemic with, with so much problems in the world that that's that seem overwhelming. It's, it's, a, it's a important question. But also, I, I think before I answer, I want to point out uh, I'm a realist, so so there are really problems out there, and I, I address them personally. Uh, I, I I know how difficult it is for for many people, and so that the, there are dangers to life, there are dangers for health of people due to the pandemic. And but then, yes, what brings me joy is that I can go outside here in Florida. Uh, I can to exercise, I love going outside in the sun. I like to travel, of course, pandemic means I can't travel right now. Uh, so I mainly stay in Gainesville and walk the neighborhoods. And of course, enough distance to anyone is on the streets. What brings me joy also a lot typically is meeting people. And that's something I learned about myself. I did not expect that I depend on meeting people and seeing them in person instead of just online means so much to me. That's something I never expected. I thought just uh, yeah, having online contact, phone and so on would be enough. But no, there is some, some aspect there of the joy of meeting people, seeing them live and interacting with them, uh, let's say, closely uh, more and, and without masks. Right. But of course, that, I, I, we need masks right now. We, we need them. So it's, we do. But, but we that, do. That, that's, the, that, that's the part that... that uh, I, 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 I have a lot of joy. I didn't realize it. And then the other part, of course, yeah, I, I recently got a dog because, yeah, it's really hard times for our mental health. And so I got a dog and the dog brings me tons of joy, walking the dog, <laughs> running with the dog. Uh, you know, it's uh, animal friends are really fantastic. Yeah. So and this is pretty much the things that bring me joy besides, of course, also teaching and doing research. Very much so. That's beautifully said, Wolfgang. Uh, the dogs. Uh, I, I think we have a lot to learn from dogs uh, in terms of in terms of forgiveness and also uh, what what matters in life. Uh, so, and 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 great great sort of uh, picture you painted for us. I you know it's like I, I absolutely agree with this sense of we have to do all the things that that we need to do in terms of being safe and, and keeping our community safe. But like you, I I, I also hunger for for a different level of human contact, just the handshake, right? Just a hug yeah. and those kind of things are, exactly. we have to put them on hold right now, but it's still there, that that urge that you mentioned about being more in contact and being in the world uh, and the 2D world of, of, of Zoom just doesn't cut it, but for now it does, right? It, we have to That's sort correct. of always de delay until we get there. So, so thank you, Wolfgang. Thank you, Dr. Wolfgang Sigmund, uh, yeah. professor. Uh, material science and engineering in our College of Phenomenal College uh, of Engineering here. It's been a pleasure. I just I, I, I want to close just by saying also thank you very personally to you because when I first came to UF 
uh, about two and a half years ago, you were one of the first people I met and it, you gave me such a warm welcome and, and a sense of, of and, a, and a real sense of deep belief that we, that given the work that you were doing on the presidential committee, that we were actually on the right path. Uh, and so thank you for the work you've been doing here at UF. Thank you very much, too. It was wonderful to have an interview with you. Thank you for being with us for five seasons and 76 episodes. I've learned so much from our amazing guests, the phenomenal people that make up the University of Florida. This podcast journey would not have been possible without my amazing colleague, Bridget Dermott, who has served as producer, technical maven, and all-around creative partner. The podcast started with a borrowed podcast kit from Marston Library, thank you so much, and a fundamental question, what does it mean to belong? And as I depart, I ask you to let the question continue to tumble around in your head and in your heart so that you give more than you get. Call people into conversations that are not always comfortable, but always necessary. And most of all, welcome those for whom a University of Florida education or position is a life-changing opportunity. May you find peace and grace on your journey. Gator CDO out.